Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed as they collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand. Oh God, do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the father of the the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. Loving Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together this evening to look at your words. Uh, Lord, this is a a powerful psalm. Would you speak to us? Would you encourage us by your spirit? Would you uh, challenge us where we need to be challenged? Uh, And we just pray that it would be a real encouragement for us all. Amen. Where is God when the arrogant prosper? Why do people who reject God seem to flourish in life and do well and, uh, and flourish? Yeah. I'm sure you can think of people like that. Maybe friends at work. Maybe people at school. People in your neighbourhoods. Uh, they've got no interest at all in following the Lord. Uh, and yet they seem happy. They're comfortable. They've got everything they could ever need. And you think, well, why? How is that fair? Especially if we're suffering, especially if we're going through difficulty and hard times, especially because of our faith, if we're following Jesus, we start wondering, don't we, where is the justice? Why is God letting this happen? Well, that's really the question this psalm asks. uh, And it's really, hopefully it'll be helpful for us to think about and find some hope for us uh, this evening. If we're going through difficult times, if we're wondering why other people are, are seems to be doing so well and we're not. Uh, there's some encouragement, hopefully, for you uh, this evening. 
Uh, we're going to dig straight into the, the, the psalm. I've divided it into two sections. Uh, and really, we see in the first 11 verses, we see that question again. Why, does, uh, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the wicked prosper? Yeah, the first 11 verses, they paint this picture of wickedness uh, and rejection of God. Uh, and you see, verse 1, it happens in God's absence. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's what it seems like to the psalmist. Where has God gone? Where is he? Why has he hidden himself and stood far away despite me going through this serious trouble? Maybe you've been there in that situation yourself. Maybe you've cried out to God and there's been no answer. And it begins to feel hopeless. And maybe you're facing severe persecution or or real suffering or real oppression. And you're not sure where to turn. You're not sure what to do. And because of his absence, it can feel really dark and really difficult. Because of his absence, it seems like the wicked are prospering. And we get this picture in these verses of this wicked man who has rejected God. Who says, God is nowhere to be seen. I can do what I like. And it kind of exposes the character of this man. That's what we're going to be looking at in this first section. Three key things we see about the character of this wicked man. And here's the first one. They are arrogant and proud. They are arrogant and proud. That is the first thing we see about this wicked man, isn't it? Pride, arrogance. You see it if you scan through verses from verse 2. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak. Verse 3, he boasts about the cravings of his heart. Verse 4, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. So this pride inside him, it leads him to revile God. That word means to kind of basically push any thought out of his mind. Anything to do with God at all. Pushing it out of his heart. Pushing it out of his life. Getting rid of it completely. It says, there is no room in his thoughts for God. I don't know how many thoughts you have every day. Our minds are constantly thinking, aren't they? There's all sorts of thoughts that go through our our minds each day. And it says there is no room for God in any of this man's thoughts. He's so busy with his own things, he is not interested, doesn't want to consider God. And what happens instead, we see verse 3, he boasts about his own heart, the cravings that are there inside him. What's there in the the centre of his mind, the centre of his life, maybe whatever feels right to him. There's a problem with that, isn't there? There's a problem when we boast about the cravings of our heart. If you put the verse up from Matthew 15, it says this. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. We are sinful. We have turned away from God. Naturally, left to our own devices, our hearts, they don't lean towards God, they lean away from him. We'd rather turn away, we'd rather do other things, wouldn't we? We'd rather lie and steal and and hate others than to follow God if it was down to us. I wonder if you felt that temptation. You wonder if you know those things yourself. The reality of the struggle that's there in our hearts. If we're left on our own devices, our hearts are not reliable, are they? But in this psalm, that's what this wicked man is celebrating. He's saying that's the right way to live. All about me, all about my own uh, desires. And this attitude, it leads him to hunting down the weak. We see that in verse 2. Why would he bother thinking about anyone else? Why would he bother uh, thinking of others? Caring for people. He says, no, actually, life's about me. Life's about what I want. 
and I'm going to throw people under the bus in order to get my way. It's not good, is it? This, this horrible, boasting man, he shows his hatred for God. He shows his hatred for other people in both what he says and what he does. And it feels quite familiar, doesn't it? Maybe we can think of people in the world today that we see a similar pattern. Maybe it's the arrogance of, of world leaders. Maybe it's the media, the things that we consume, the, the things we watch and listen to and, and, and read. And lots of the time they're preaching a message, aren't they, of, of pride, of arrogance, of basically putting ourselves at the centre of our lives. I wonder if you do that when you're, when you're listening to things, watching things. Do you engage? Do you challenge what they're saying to you? Do you question whether it's, it's true and right or whether they're leading you away from God? Maybe we, can, we think of friends and family that, that don't have room to think about God in their lives. Maybe that, that they're part of a world, aren't they, that, that doesn't want to know. They don't really care about what's, whether there's a, a real right and a real wrong. It's kind of, as long as you don't hurt anyone, it's up to you to decide. You live the way you want to. But it's interesting, isn't it? In these verses, he's described as a wicked man. Would you do the same? with people that you know who have that kind of attitude? Are they wicked? That feels a bit strong, doesn't it? I mean, they're kind of good people. Well, verse 4 is really revealing, isn't it? Verse 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Even good people with no thought for God, there is a wickedness to that arrogance, that pride, where they don't want to know. It's sharp, isn't it? It's cutting. That reality is painful maybe for us to consider. That's what it's saying. You know, many, of, many around us would have turned away from God, would have rejected him, gone their own way. And it's a tragic thing and we might grieve over it. It's not a surprise though, is it? Because that's where sin leads. Sin leads to that pride and that arrogance. And if we think we're better, if we think we're different, that's when we need to humbly examine our hearts. Because we can so often be proud ourselves, can't we? We need the help of the Lord Jesus to, to grow and change in those ways. He is arrogant and proud. Second thing we see is he is prosperous and secure. Prosperous and secure. We read this and we think, surely, surely it's not going to be long before God does something about this arrogance, right? But the psalm goes on to almost suggest the opposite. Verse 5, instead of judgment, the wicked man prospers. He's doing well. He's, he's getting on in life. He's sneering at his enemies. Because he's fine. He's all right. He's got nothing to worry about. Why would he bother with God and God's laws if that's the case? And he's got this real confidence, isn't he? The prosperity leads to confidence and security in verse 6. It feels to him like he's untouchable. Nothing can come close to him. Uh, and he's like, God's not going to interfere. God's not going to bother with me. He's not interested in what's going on. Well, if an unsuccessful person, the person who, who you know, isn't succeeding in life, if they start proudly boasting and throwing their weight around, no one takes them seriously, do they? Everyone laughs. It's, it's a silly thing. But if an arrogant person is driving a Ferrari down the street and wearing designer suits and jetting off to all the best holidays, it's a bit different, isn't it? Especially when he laughs at us for our faith. And he says things like, yeah, just forget it. Why are you bothering with that? Look, if there is a God, he's not interested in your life. If you're going to get ahead, you've got to do it yourself. 
You've got to put the hours in. You've got to achieve things. You've got to, you've got to work really hard. God isn't going to help you do it. And actually, in this world, it's the strong people that succeed. If you're not successful, it's your own fault. That's the kind of attitude, isn't it? We, we, can, we can look at people like that, and it's tempting to listen to them. I wonder if that feels familiar to you. I wonder if you can think of people around you, neighbours, family, friends at school, at work, who have that kind of confidence, that arrogance, and that prosperity that kind of backs it up. We live in a well-off places, don't we? I know Kenilworth in particular is, is full of well-off people that don't seem to want to know God. They're high achievers. They're, 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 they seem to be going places, but they don't have time. I wonder if that's the same with people that you know. And it's easy, isn't it, to fall into the mindset that we kind of go along with that flow. Surely that's what I really need, isn't it? That prosperity, that security. Surely that's what my kids need, isn't it? To be prosperous and secure. And that's a dangerous message, isn't it? That can take our eyes away from the gospel. It can take our eyes away from eternity. Because the real security is not found in those things. The verse from Luke up on the screen here. Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Is that something we need to hear this evening? Is that something we need to ask ourselves? Maybe some searching questions. Maybe you need to think, is my, what's more important with my children? Is it their spiritual health or is it their academic achievement? If you're younger, if you're studying and think those things, is that what it's all about, making sure I get the grades? Or is actually my, how I relate to Jesus more important? How we spend our money, how we use our possessions. Do we, do we make sacrifices now for the sake of God's kingdom? Or do we hold on to too much? Do we kind of, we, we, we keep too much for ourselves? What if you lost your, your job, your livelihood? Would you be able to trust God in that moment? Or would, would you panic? Would you, would you be fearful? Because you're not sure where your security is coming from. These are questions I ask myself too. Uh, I know how easy it is to fall in those areas and uh, and go those ways. We'll think about that a bit more. He is prosperous and secure. Thirdly, he has a vile tongue, and he's filled with violent action. Verse 7, that's what it says, isn't it? His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. We might think, well, actions are worse than words, aren't they? Because they can actually hurt people. But Scripture's really clear. What comes out of our, our mouths what our tongues say, the words we use, it reveals the depths of our character, reveals what we're like. Uh, someone where I used to work before going into ministry revealed this. You'd speak to her day to day and she was all sweetness and light and this lovely character. You always got the slight sense that it was, she was kind of putting it on and, and maybe it wasn't very genuine. And at one point she called one of her staff uh, just to, to ask something. She was out of the office and I went to the voicemail she left a message, you know, it's fine, just a nice little message. Please get back to me. And then she forgot to hang up the phone. And then she left the real message. She was swearing and insulting this, this staff member and laying into her for not being at the phone and, and saying all these horrible things. And suddenly her character was revealed. Actually, you know, that's, that was what was coming out in the stressful moment. These, these awful things, I don't know. It's so easy, isn't it, when, we, when we're stressed and when we're tired, to lose control of our tongues and for, for, for things to spill out. We see the character of the wicked man here, don't we? His mouth reveals what he is like. 
He has rejected God. He speaks without thinking about whether he's going to have to answer to his maker. He's got a vile tongue, and that leads to violent action. Do you see that in verses 8 to 11? He's got this incredibly violent attitude to, to, to those around him. His victims, they're, they're helpless. They're powerless to do anything against him. And we see it kind of building up this horrible picture of this man. The images used are really strong, aren't they? This idea of ambush in verse 8. Like a lion in cover prowling around. Verse 9, he, he lies in wait to catch them with a net. It's this picture of, of kind of waiting stealthily. Waiting for that moment where you can pounce. You can catch them out. You can take advantage. You can crush that person for your own advantage, your own gain. Maybe the psalmist is thinking of a particular situation as he wrote this. But that's a realistic picture, isn't it, for those of us who are going through difficult times, those of us who are suffering. Sometimes it can feel like you're being hunted. And you think, how could it get any worse? And then it suddenly gets worse again. And this wicked man, at the same time, he seems to have it all together. He's got everything he needs. And even despite that, he's still taking more. He's taking advantage of people from, who have got nothing. Ruining lives. How familiar does that feel in situations around the world today as well? So we read the first half of the psalm and we're left with a pretty bleak picture, aren't we? It's pretty desperate, it's pretty hopeless. God seems to be absent, the wicked are prospering, the helpless victims are suffering. And we say, why? Why, Lord? Why are these things happening? Why do the wicked prosper? Where is the justice? Well, fortunately, the psalm does not end at that point. And we see in the second half, it will give us great hope. Because what we see is this. We see that God sees and he will act. He sees and he will act. Verse 12. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. You see a massive change of tone there, isn't there? From wondering where God is and, and, and wondering what's happening to suddenly remembering his character. Remembering what he is like. Finding that faith. Finding that confidence and hope to, to, to press on. And it's not saying that God's acted yet, but there's a confidence that he will. Saying, come, Lord. That's what we need to do, isn't it? When, we, when we're struggling, when we're asking those questions, where is the justice? Why are these things happening? We have to remember what God is like. Remember his character. Remember his love and his patience and his goodness. And we call on him. So let's look through the second half of these verses. Let's learn about why we can have this confidence. And I think a really key thing to see is in there in verse 16, that God is king forever. God is king forever. That's what it says in it. Forever and ever, it says. That is the center of the hope that the psalmist has. The fact that God is king forever. Creator of everything. Lord of all. He is the one in control. The nations, it says, they will perish. Even the mightiest of kingdoms, it's nothing. It will not last Compared to the kingdom of God, he made the universe. That's the hope we find when we turn to God, when we come to him. That's the hope we find when we think he made us, he knows us, he loves us. It's not wishful thinking, it's a certain kind of bedrock, solid hope. It's a certainty, because God does not change. He is always the same, he always acts in righteousness. And that's really good news. And it's really good news. Firstly, we see it's good news because we see that God will judge those who reject him. God will judge those who reject him. 
We see that in verse 13, don't we? The psalmist says, why does the wicked man revile God? Why is he saying these things? It's like, it's like, because very soon he will find out that he's got it wrong. It's like, what, what could his confidence possibly be based on? This pride, this arrogance that he has. It's not going to last. Verse 15 says, break the arm of the wicked man. That's a symbol of his strength, a symbol of his power. It's like, just break it, smash it. God will call them to account. The things they never thought would be discovered will be exposed. Nothing is hidden from God. Everything will come out in the end. They will face justice. That puts the kind of confident swagger into perspective, doesn't it? We think of the people we know who seem to have it all together. And they're proud and they're confident and they've rejected God and they don't seem to care. And it's so easy to think, well, maybe I should, you know, it's, it's tempting to kind of be swayed by what they're saying, to listen to it. But then we, we, we stop and we reflect on you know, the, the, the pride that's found in a proud man's heart to the, the God of the universe, the holy, mighty, powerful God of all. Compare those things, that, how insignificant that, that person's pride is compared to the God of the universe who has it all in, his, in, in control, in his hands. It's very easy then, isn't it, to see which one's lacking when you put it in perspective. I remember at school, one of my friends was sort of joking around and mocking a teacher. And we were standing in a little circle and he was just, you know, insulting, saying some stupid things. And he was really confident that his audience were like lapping it up and going to find it funny. But little did he know that the teacher he was talking about was standing right behind him as he was saying these things. And it did. Well, that's really the question this psalm asks. Uh, and it's really, hopefully it'll be helpful for us to think about and find some hope for us uh, this evening. If we're going through difficult times, if we're wondering why other people are, are, seem to be doing so well and we're not, uh, there's some encouragement hopefully for you uh, this evening. Uh, we're going to dig straight into the, the, the psalm. I've divided it into two sections. Uh, and really we see in the first 11 verses, we see that question again. Why does uh, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the wicked prosper? Um, this is sorry, the click is not working. So, oh, there we go. Now it is. <laughs> Never mind. Um, yeah, the first eleven verses they paint this picture of wickedness uh, and rejection of God. Uh, and you see, verse one, it happens in God's absence. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's what it seems like to the psalmist. Where's God gone? Where is he? Why has he hidden himself and stood far away despite me going through this serious trouble? Maybe you've been there in that situation yourself. Maybe you've cried out to God and there's been no answer. And it begins to feel hopeless. And maybe you're facing severe persecution or, or real suffering or real oppression. And you're not sure where to turn. You're not sure what to do. And because of his absence, it can feel really dark and really difficult. Because of his absence, it seems like the wicked are prospering. And we get this picture in these verses of this wicked man who has rejected God, who says, God is nowhere to be seen. I can do what I like. And it kind of exposes the character of this man. That's what we're going to be looking at in this first section. Three key things we see about the character of this wicked man. And here's the first one. They are arrogant and proud. They are arrogant and proud. That is the first thing we see 
about this wicked man, isn't it? Pride, arrogance. You see it if you scan through verses from verse 2. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak. Verse 3, he boasts about the cravings of his heart. Verse 4, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. So this pride inside him, it leads him to revile God. That word means to kind of basically push any thought out of his mind. Anything to do with God at all. Pushing it out of his heart. Pushing it out of his life. Getting rid of it completely. It says, doesn't it, there is no room in his thoughts for God. I don't know how many thoughts you have every day. Our minds are constantly thinking, aren't they? There's all sorts of thoughts that go through our, our minds each day. And it says there is no room for God in any of this man's thoughts. He's so busy with his own things. He is not interested, doesn't want to consider God's. And what happens instead, we see verse 3, he boasts about his own heart, the cravings that are there inside him. What's there in the the centre of his mind, the centre of his life, maybe whatever feels right to him. There's a problem with that, isn't there? There's a problem when we boast about the cravings of our hearts. If you put the verse up from Matthew 15, it says this, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false testimony, slander. We are sinful. We have turned away from God. Naturally, left to our own devices, our hearts, they don't lean towards God, they lean away from him. We'd rather turn away, we'd rather do other things, wouldn't we? We'd rather lie and steal and and hate others than to follow God, if it was down to us. I wonder if you felt that temptation, you wouldn't even know those things yourself. The reality of the struggle that's there in our hearts. If we're left on our own devices, our hearts are not reliable, are they? But in this psalm, that's what this wicked man is celebrating. He's saying that's the right way to live. All about me, all about my own desires. And this attitude, it leads him to hunting down the weak. We see that in verse 2. Why would he bother thinking about anyone else? Why would he bother thinking of others? Caring for people. He says, no, actually, life's about me. Life's about what I want. And I'm going to throw people under the bus in order to get my way. It's not good, is it? This this horrible, boasting man, he shows his hatred for God. He shows his hatred for other people in both what he says and what he does. And it feels quite familiar, doesn't it? Maybe we can think of people in the world today that we see a similar pattern. Maybe it's the arrogance of, of world leaders. Maybe it's the media, the things that we consume, the, the things we watch and listen to and, and, and read. And lots of the time they're preaching a message, aren't they, of, of pride, of arrogance, of basically putting ourselves at the centre of our lives. I wonder if you do that when you're, when you're listening to things, watching things. Do you engage? Do you challenge what they're saying to you? Do you question whether it's, it's true and right or whether they're leading you away from God? Maybe we, can, we think of friends and family that, that don't have room to think about God in their lives. Maybe they're part of a world, aren't they, that, that doesn't want to know. They don't really care about what's, whether there's a real right and a real wrong. It's kind of, as long as you don't hurt anyone, it's up to you to decide. You can live the way you want to. But it's interesting, isn't it? In these verses, he's described as a wicked man. Would you do the same? with people that you know who have that kind of attitude? Are they wicked? It feels a bit strong, doesn't it? I mean, they're kind of good people. 
Well, verse 4 is really really revealing, isn't it? Verse 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Even good people with no thought for God, there is a wickedness to that arrogance, that pride, where they don't want to know. It's sharp, isn't it? It's cutting. That reality It's painful maybe for us to consider. That's what it's saying. You know, many, of, many around us would have turned away from God, would have rejected him, gone their own way. And it's a tragic thing, and we might grieve over it. It's not a surprise, though, is it? Because that's where sin leads. Sin leads to that pride and that arrogance. And if we think we're better, if we think we're different, that's when we need to humbly examine our hearts. Because we can so often be proud ourselves, can't we? We need the help of the Lord Jesus to, to grow and change in those ways. He is arrogant and proud. Second thing we see is he is prosperous and secure. Prosperous and secure. We read this and we think, surely, surely it's not going to be long before God does something about this arrogance, right? But the psalm goes on to almost suggest the opposite. Verse 5, instead of judgment, the wicked man prospers. He's doing well. He's, he's getting on in life. He's sneering at his enemies because he's fine. He's all right. He's got nothing to worry about. Why would he bother with God and God's laws if that's the case? And he's got this real confidence, isn't he? The prosperity leads to confidence and security in verse 6. It feels to him like he's untouchable. Nothing can come close to him. Uh, And he's like, God's not going to interfere. God's not going to bother with me. He's not interested in what's going on. Well, if an unsuccessful person, the person who, who you know, isn't succeeding in life, if they start proudly boasting and throwing their weight around, no one takes them seriously, do they? Everyone laughs. It's, it's, it's a silly thing. But if an arrogant person is driving a Ferrari down the street and wearing designer suits and jetting off to all the best holidays, it's a bit different, isn't it? Especially when he laughs at us for our faith. And he says things like, yeah, just forget it. Why are you bothering with that? Look, if there is a God, he's not interested in your life. If you're going to get ahead, you've got to do it yourself. You've got to put the hours in. You've got to achieve things. You've got to to work really hard. God isn't going to help you do it. And actually, in this world, it's the strong people that succeed. If you're not successful, it's your own fault. That's the kind of attitude, isn't it? We, we We can look at people like that, and it's tempting to listen to them. I wonder if that feels familiar to you. I wonder if you can think of people around you, neighbors, family, friends, at school, at work who have that kind of confidence, that arrogance, and that prosperity that kind of backs it up. We live in a well-off place, don't we? I know Kenilworth in particular is full of well-off people that don't seem to want to know God. They're high achievers. They seem to be going places, but they don't have time. I wonder if that's the same with people that you know. And it's easy, isn't it, to fall into the mindset that we kind of go along with that flow. Surely that's what I really need, isn't it? That prosperity, that security. Surely that's what my kids need, isn't it? To be prosperous and secure. And that's a dangerous message, isn't it? That can take our eyes away from the gospel. It can take our eyes away from eternity. Because the real security is not found in those things. The verse from Luke up on the screen here. Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Is that something we need to hear this evening? Is that something we need to ask ourselves? Maybe some searching questions. Maybe you need to think, uh, what's more important with my children? Is it their spiritual health 
or is it their academic achievements? If you're younger, if you're studying and think those things, think, is that what it's all about, making sure I get the grades? Or is actually my, how much I relate to Jesus more important? How we spend our money, how we use our possessions, do we, do we make sacrifices now for the sake of God's kingdom? Or do we hold on to too much? Do we kind of, we, we, we keep too much for ourselves? What if you lost your, your job, your livelihood? Would you be able to trust God in that moment? Or would, would you panic? Would you, would you be fearful because you're not sure where your security is coming from? These are questions I ask myself too. Uh, I know how easy it is to fall in those areas and, uh, and go those ways. We'll think about that a bit more. He is prosperous and secure. Thirdly, he has a vile tongue and he's filled with violent action. Verse 7, that's what it says, isn't it? His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. We might think, well, actions are worse than words, aren't they? Because they can actually hurt people. But Scripture's really clear. What comes out of our, our mouths, what our tongues say, the words we use, it reveals the depths of our character, reveals what we're like. Uh, someone where I used to work before going into ministry revealed this. You'd speak to her day to day and she was all sweetness and light and this lovely character. You always got the slight sense that it was, she was kind of putting it on and maybe it wasn't very genuine. And at one point she called one of her staff uh, just to, to ask something. She was out of the office and I went to the voicemail. She left a message, you know, it's fine, just a nice little message. Please get back to me. And then she forgot to hang up the phone. And then she left the real message. She was swearing and insulting this, this staff member and laying into her for not being at the phone and, and saying all these horrible things. And suddenly her character was revealed. But actually, you know, that's, that was what was coming out in the stressful moments. These, these awful things. I don't know. It's so easy, isn't it, when, we, when we're stressed and when we're tired to lose control of our tongues and for, for, for things to spill out. We see the character of the wicked man here, don't we? His mouth reveals what he is like. He has rejected God. He speaks without thinking about whether he's going to have to answer to his maker. He's got a vile tongue, and that leads to violent action. Do you see that in verses 8 to 11? He's got this incredibly violent attitude to, to, to those around him. His victims, they're, they're helpless. They're powerless to do anything against him. And we see it kind of building up this horrible picture of this man. The images used are really strong, aren't they? This idea of ambush in verse 8. Like a lion in cover prowling around. Verse 9, he, he lies in wait to catch them with a net. It's this picture of, of kind of waiting stealthily. Waiting for that moment where you can pounce. You can catch them out. You can take advantage. You can crush that person for your own advantage, your own gain. Maybe the psalmist is thinking of a particular situation as he wrote this. But that's a realistic picture, isn't it, for those of us who are going through difficult times, those of us who are suffering. Sometimes it can feel like you're being hunted. And you think, how could it get any worse? And then it suddenly gets worse again. And this wicked man, at the same time, he seems to have it all together. He's got everything he needs. And even despite that, he's still taking more. He's taking advantage of people from, who have got nothing. Ruining lives. How familiar does that feel in situations around the world today as well? So we read the first half of the psalm and we're left with a pretty bleak picture, aren't we? It's pretty desperate, it's pretty hopeless. God seems to be absent, 
the wicked are prospering, the helpless victims are suffering. And we say, why? Why, Lord? Why are these things happening? Why do the wicked prosper? Where is the justice? Well, fortunately, the psalm does not end at that point. And we see in the second half, it will give us great hope. Because what we see is this. We see that God sees and he will act. He sees and he will act. Verse 12. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. You see a massive change of tone there, isn't there? From wondering where God is and, and, and wondering what's happening to suddenly remembering his character. Remembering what he is like. Finding that faith. Finding that confidence and hope to, to, to press on. And it's not saying that God's acted yet, but there's a confidence that he will. Saying, come, Lord. That's what we need to do, isn't it? When, we, when we're struggling, when we're asking those questions, where is the justice? Why are these things happening? We have to remember what God is like. Remember his character. Remember his love and his patience and his goodness. And we call on him. So let's look through the second half of these verses. Let's learn about why we can have this confidence. And I think a really key thing to see is in there in verse 16, that God is king forever. God is king forever. That's what it says in it. Forever and ever, it says. That is the center of the hope that the psalmist has. The fact that God is king forever. Creator of everything. Lord of all. He is the one in control. The nations, it says, they will perish. Even the mightiest of kingdoms, it's nothing. It will not last Compared to the kingdom of God, he made the universe. That's the hope we find when we turn to God, when we come to him. That's the hope we find when we think he made us, he knows us, he loves us. It's not wishful thinking, it's a certain bedrock, solid hope. It's a certainty because God does not change. He is always the same, he always acts in righteousness. And that's really good news. That's it's really good news. Firstly, we see it's good news because we see that God will judge those who reject him. God will judge those who reject him. We see that in verse 13, don't we? The psalmist says, why does the wicked man revile God? Why is he saying these things? It's like, it's saying because very soon he will find out that he's got it wrong. It's like, what, what could his confidence possibly be based on? This pride, this arrogance that he has. It's not going to last. Verse 15 says... Break the arm of the wicked man. That's a symbol of his strength, a symbol of his power. It's like, just break it. Smash it. God will call them to account. The things they never thought would be discovered will be exposed. Nothing is hidden from God. Everything will come out in the end. They will face justice. That puts the kind of confident swagger into perspective, doesn't it? We think of the people we know who seem to have it all together. And they're proud and they're confident and they've rejected God, and they don't seem to care. And it's so easy to think, well, maybe I should, you know, it's, it's tempting to kind of be swayed by what they're saying, to listen to it. But then we, we, we stop, and we reflect on, you know, the, the, the pride that's found in a proud man's heart to the, the God of the universe, the holy, mighty, powerful God of all. Compare those things, that, how insignificant that, that person's pride is compared to the God of the universe who has it all in, his, in, in control in his hands it's very easy then isn't it to see which one's lacking when you put it in perspective I remember at school one of my friends was sort of joking around and mocking a teacher 
and we were standing in a little circle and he was just, you know, insulting, saying some stupid things. And he was really confident that his audience were like lapping it up and going to find it funny. But little did he know that the teacher he was talking about was standing right behind him as he was saying these things. And it did not take long for him to be taken off uh, and punished. And you know what? Every day people are proudly ignoring God. They are putting themselves first. They're, they're pressing others. They don't realize how close they are to God's judgment, how close God is behind them. They will have to give an account for what they have done. And I don't know, uh, many of you, I don't know what stage you are at in faith. Maybe some of you have not made that, that step of, of turning to, to the Lord, turning to Jesus. If that's you today, that, that, that proud heart that you haven't humbled yourself, haven't confessed your sin and, and, and repented and, and laid down your life before him, it's not too late. Not too late today to do that because there is hope found there. Do you see the, the certain hope that is found nowhere else? It's good news. It's good news. And it's good news, thirdly, because God cares for the helpless. He cares for the helpless. That, we get this contrast, don't we, through the psalm. We've got the arrogant, prosperous, wicked people. We've got the weak, hopeless, helpless victims. And we think, what? Does anyone, does anyone care? Is God looking? And verse 14 we see, don't we? He sees the trouble of the afflicted. He takes it in hands. He is the helper of the fatherless. He hears the cries of the afflicted. He encourages them. Verse 18, he defends the oppressed. We see God does care. He will act. He will be there to encourage the weak and the helpless and, and be there for people. You know, when I was little, I used to get really anxious when I would go off somewhere without my parents. Uh, and I'd always be terrified that they weren't going to come back and they weren't going to help me. And I remember, you know, football practice as a small boy, uh, always panicking because my dad hadn't turned up at the end of the, the session. My dad was always running late, so I was always panicking. And it was kind of my stomach in knots all the time. And I look back now and I think, well, of course he wasn't ever going to abandon me. Of course not. He loved me. He cared for me. He was my dad. But it's really hard in that moment to maybe understand that. And I wonder if sometimes it feels like that with God. We wonder where he is. We wonder why he lets us suffer while the wicked prosper. But we remember, don't we, tonight, that he will respond. That he will be there for us. He will punish the wicked. He will restore the humble. He will lift us up. His timing is not always the same as what we expect or what we want. But that doesn't stop us doubting. That shouldn't mean we doubt his goodness. He has our best interests at heart. He's making us more like Jesus. So as you see, it seems desperate, but there's great hope, isn't there? There's great hope at the, as we read the, the psalm as a, as a whole. I hope you find that really encouraging because it's honest. It's re realistic, isn't it, about the reality of the world around us? How it's rejected God, how it's, it's kind of gone away from him. And it leads to that wickedness in, in all sorts of ways. And then we get the perspective shift. We, we, we realize, ah, it's okay. We remember God is king forever and ever. We don't need to worry. We can trust him. We, we commit ourselves to God. And we will never be forsaken. We'll never be lost. We trust him. So there's great encouragement there, isn't there? But actually, I think also what this psalm helps us understand is what it looks like to live in this broken world. It helps us understand what we should expect in our lives today. 
Because actually what this psalm kind of parallels is the experience of Jesus. Uh, and we follow Jesus. So that's what we, we're called to do. We, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And think about what that means. Jesus faced the, the hatred and the accusations of the wicked. Think about those who wanted him dead. They were plotting. They were scheming. They were kind of lying in wait to, to catch him out. Like verse 7, their, their mouths were full of lies and full of evil. They wanted to have him killed. He was the one who fought against the proud arrogance of the, the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law. And instead, what was he? He was the, the helper of the fatherless. He always had time for people in need. He was always welcoming and open to, to everyone who came to him. And he was also the one who, who cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he died on the cross to save us from our sins. That's what he, he experienced, verse 1, didn't he? Of Psalm 10. Why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself? So like, where have you gone, God? He experienced this, this separation as he bore the, the wrath of God to save us. And at the same time as he did those things, there was, there was a confidence in him as he submitted to the Father's will. There's a, some verses from 1 Peter here. I'll put them up on the screen again. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. It's an amazing passage the gospel teaching us what it meant for Jesus to, to lay down his life but you see in, right in the middle there it says he entrusted himself to him who judges justly even as he died he, he was entrusting himself to his father he knew that he was dying to save those that he loved from their sin he knew that those who hated him would face the judgment they deserved and it's a similar pattern for us as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus we will suffer. We will suffer at the hands of the wicked. People who have rejected him, we shouldn't be surprised when that happens. Especially maybe as it increases. It seems to be increasing, doesn't it, that there might be more threat of persecution. At very least, lack of respect for our faith. People not wanting to take it seriously. What do we do? We entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. We are secure not in our prosperity, not, not in our confidence of ourselves. We're secure because Jesus died for us. When we had no hope, when we had no desire for him, when we were completely helpless, he died to save us. What good news that is and what hope that gives us. And when we do face wicked people and, and, and hard situations, we do it with that deep confidence in the Lord, in the King forever and ever. He sees our trouble. He encourages us in the midst of that. And we, we receive his care. We receive his love and compassion. He pours it out into our lives. It's something we look forward to for all eternity. There's great hope. Even if today is awful, remember our lives are short. They, they're, not that, they're not that significant in the light of eternity. We'll be with Jesus forever. That's what we long for. That's what we look forward to. That's where we find our hope. So I hope that's encouraging, that we find our hope in the Lord Jesus, who died and rose again, who rose again as the, the defender of the fatherless, the defender of the oppressed. 
the one who can forgive us at the times when actually we're more like the wicked man than we are, than we should be. When we are proud, when we're arrogant, when we are self-confident, when we hold on to this world's treasures too tightly, when we use our tongues and our actions for evil, there's hope for us, thanks to Jesus dying in our place, loving us. That's good to remember, isn't it? We have hope only because of him. There's grace because we trust Jesus. He fills us with his spirit. He helps us grow and change and become more like him. Thanks to him, we are not like we perhaps once were. We're not perfect. We're works in progress. He's, he's working on us. He's helping us grow and change. And I just hope that's really good news this evening. Whether you've had a great week, whether you've had a really tough week and you're not sure what's next and where to turn. If it feels like there's injustice in your life that is never ending. Let me encourage you to remember, get that perspective. The king of the universe, the king of all eternity, sees. He will act. He loves you. He cares for you. And that's glorious, isn't it? Wonderful truth to keep us going. To keep pressing on in our, our mission, our desire to, to share the good news with other people as well. So I hope that's encouraging. Should we pray? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you so much for sending your son to die in our place. When we are helpless, you came down and helped us. Thank you for laying down your life to, 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 to forgive us and, and save us and give us new life and new hope. And Lord, would you forgive us for the times where we are like this wicked man and this wicked person and the times where we, have, we do not honour you and live for you as we should. Thank you that if we are trusting Jesus, our sin is washed away, it's clean, it's gone. And Lord, if we're struggling, if we're going through hard times, whatever our weeks hold, would you help us hold fast to you? Would you help us cling to the truth of who you are, that we can rely on you, that we can find hope in your love, in your salvation. Just pray, Lord, that you'd bless us, you'd encourage us and strengthen us uh, by your spirit, we pray. Amen.